Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. The scripture this morning comes from Matthew 25, verse 41. Be reading from the New King James Version. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You may be seated. God is good, and all the time. It may be hard for some people to say that, considering what they may be facing, and it may not feel like that for others. But if it is a bit of a struggle for you to say that, we'll say it for you until such a time as you feel you can say it again. But remember those that Gary has mentioned and that are on our prayer list, some of them are facing uncertain futures. But while the future may not be known, we serve a God that is known, and we can definitely put all things into His hand. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the warning labels on certain products. Some of them, as you read it, you kind of go, duh. For example, let me give you a few examples. On one particular baby stroller, it says, remove child before folding. Okay. There was the big Chipotle truck, and on the back it says, drivers do not carry burritos. So, okay. One warning label on an iron says, do not iron while wearing clothing. You know the fireplace logs, those logs that you can get somewhere and you light them on fire and it kind of helps you get a fire going? There was a warning label on them that says risk of fire. Y'all remember that guy, Bill Lingvall, the guy that, here's your sign. Y'all remember that guy? If, if you don't, maybe it doesn't mean a whole lot. A package of brass fishing hooks. David said, harmful if swallowed. And a sun shield. Do you remember the sun shields that people would put in their front window, right, to kind of keep it? He said, a warning label on that said, do not drive with sun shield in place. Okay. There was one comedian exasperated by, he, in his words, the stupidity of many people. And he said, let's just remove all the warning labels and let things work themselves out. Well, that could probably work out somewhere. But these products have a warning label as simple as they seem because with whatever we get, there could be something bad about it if we misuse it. Most of us have enough common sense to know you don't do this or you do this with whatever it is. But there are some people, bless their hearts. As we say in the South, they just don't know. And so that's why they have to be told, do not drive with a sunshield in place. Harmful to swallow fishing hooks. There's a risk of fire with fireplace logs. Well, there's also a warning in Scripture. 
You know, the Bible has an, an amazing story when read as a unified whole. It's a story of God's love for His people. It's a story of hope. It's a story that really is good news. But as with anything, there's also a warning. And the warning that is contained is based off this passage that Rob read a second ago, is that there is hell. A lot of people don't want to believe in such a place. A lot of people want only the positive goodness of Scripture. And trust me, that's what I want too. But it's not good if there aren't consequences to make it so good. The good news of Jesus Christ is in fact good news, but it had to come through pain and suffering in order for it to be good news. I remember when we brought mom up here not long ago before we found her current place, we had been recommended to another place and we went and looked at it and walking in and Stephanie had already been out there and she said, you're not going to like this place. And she was right. I, I have learned just to take my wife's word for it. But the staff was very nice, but we go into this place and it's very dark and dim and just so depressing. Their walls were painted a charcoal gray, very, very dark. And someone asked me, they said, how would you describe it? I said, well, it reminds me of a rundown medical facility in a scary movie. It's just very dark and dingy. And that was a place I just couldn't leave my mother, right? Uh, and, and the staff had told Stephanie, they said, you know, a lot of people that place their loved ones here, they place them here because they don't want to have to deal with them. And they don't visit them, they don't come, and they don't call. And I thought, boy, that's horrible. That's just absolutely horrible to hear. But we found her a place that she likes, that we like, and we like that she likes, which is good. So you think about places you never want to leave people. And one of the places, if I had it up to me, that I wouldn't want anybody to go is hell. Now, contrary to the previous two weeks' sermons that I hope were encouraging to you as Christians and uplifting, there's also one that has to come of a warning. There has to be a balanced teaching of Scripture. There's lots of positivity in Scripture, but there's what some people might call negativity. We don't ever like to hear the negative, but it's important for us to remember. So if, if you think about the story of God and humanity, there's one thing I want to point out to you. The one person that spoke the most about hell in the Bible was Jesus. Think about it. Get you a concordance and look up the word hell. And majority of the usages of that word come from the lips of our Savior. And guess what? He's not telling it to a bunch of lost people. He's telling it to a bunch of national, religious, Jewish people. Some of them not so religious. Some of them needing restoration. But when we read the scriptures and the overview of Christianity, we see how sin enters the whole picture through humanity and with it creation is subjected to futility. In Romans chapter 8 verses 20 to 22, Paul wrote, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. 
So sin, a violation of God's perfect will, has tainted creation and humanity ever since the Garden of Eden. Now, none of us are immune from it. You sin, I sin, we all sin. Here's the thing. I would like to think that as a preacher, I would be a lot more spiritual than I am. But I'm not. I would like to think that I would be more attuned to heavenly matters than I am. But I'm not. I can be petty. I can be unkind. I can be downright rude. I can be very judgmental. So there you go. I am a sinner. Surprise. And you know, sometimes the things that only people associate with you are the bad they know about you. That's what I talked about last week. You know, sometimes when we have left a bad taste in another person's mouth, for the rest of our existence in theirs, that's how they'll see us. You know, there are things I wish I could go back and change. And as Lynn prayed for in his prayer this morning, I know that God has forgiven me, but I have a hard time forgetting it. And it often plagues me that I might have, not that I might have, but that I have probably wronged people, that I've been rude to them, that I've been unkind to them, critical of them, and just downright ugly. So I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need those sins to be taken care of. I wish that I could go to each person that I've ever wronged. Some of them I've known about, others of them I've never known of, mainly because it just flew right over my head that, you know, sometimes my bluntness or directness is very rude to other people. I, uh, but if you don't know, you can't make amends. But I'm glad that God can forgive. And so in the fixture of sin entering the world, God, through His Son, entered the world in order to deal with this, to remedy our sins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you know when you spoke about the glory of God in the first century, the Jews often believed that the glory of God resided in the temple? It's pretty interesting if, if we understand it how they understood it. No, 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 the glory of God exists in the temple. But John, moved by the Holy Spirit, says when you see Jesus, you see the glory of God. It's not there at the temple. It's here in a person. And Jesus came to heal the fractured nature of humanity. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. I love this next part. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus. So no matter how bad I've ever been, no matter how bad you have ever been, God's grace has been greater than our sin. But I would want to point one thing out that I don't have up here in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Paul asked the question, 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In the King James, he says, God forbid. Because some Christians can go, oh, so God's grace is greater than my sin? Absolutely. But Paul says, don't take that as a license to just keep on sinning. That's not how the Christian life is supposed to work. Now, we are all surrounded by death. And, and, and this is the result of sin, death. And sometimes we try to make it as much of a positive thing as we can. Um, we don't call it a funeral so much. Sometimes we call it a celebration of life. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. When a person is a Christian and they leave this earth and go to be with the Lord, we can celebrate. But have you ever noticed, I, I, I've, I've noticed this, every funeral I've ever been to, the person's going to heaven. The good thing is we can't preach them to heaven or to hell, but I would just like for one time somebody to, well, no, I wouldn't like that. That would be bad. Family would be, I, I, I had a funeral one time in another ministry and I didn't know the people, but I, they, I had done a funeral and the wife of the deceased remembered me doing that funeral and she called the funeral home and asked if that guy can do it. So the funeral director called me. His name is Mr. Strode. Mr. Strode called me. Stephen, would you mind doing a funeral for a lady? You don't know her. She saw you. Do it. Oh yeah, I'd be glad to help. Because I'd always told him if there's somebody who needs uh, someone to, to do a funeral for them, give me a call. I'll help. I'd be glad to help. So I go and... Um, after they made the arrangements, there was a visitation. I went before the visitation and I'm sitting with the wife and her children. I introduced myself and I have, I, I used to carry a questionnaire of what to ask people about their loved ones so that I could somewhat make it a little personal. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going through these questions and I asked, I said, did your husband have a favorite scripture? She just shook her head. I said, okay, uh, did, does it, does, did he have a favorite him. She shook her head. I said, okay, uh, how about a poem or maybe a prayer? She, she looked up. I guess she just had to square with me. She said, honey, that man was an evil cuss. Okay, evil cuss. <laughs> I was like, I said, what, did he ever go to church? No. Oh, Never set foot in a church in his life. Oh, okay. Evil cuss? But yes, she wanted a service for him. Now, I just didn't get up and go, well, he's going to hell now. I'm glad God gets to sort that out. But based off what she said, I'm thinking, those are the saddest funerals. The saddest funerals are of those who never obeyed the gospel, at least in my opinion. Christians and their funerals can still be very sad. We're surrounded by death. It's not pleasant. Nobody wants it. But for those of us who are Christians, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we can sorrow differently. We can sorrow not as those who don't have hope. He's not saying it's going to be easy. He's not saying we're not going to cry or mourn or grieve. But he's saying in comparison to everybody else of the world, we have hope beyond the grave. Now, I don't know about you. I hate death. 
absolutely hate it. Sometimes we breathe a sigh of relief when a Christian dies knowing that their work on earth has ended and they've gone to be with the Lord. There's no more suffering, no more agony, no more death. And since we hate death, every one of us, even if you're not a Christian, you're probably one that can agree with us this much. We hate death. But death is the product of sin. And because we hate death, we should look to Jesus and see the hope that he gives us. We should want to obey Jesus. And if you hate death on earth, I promise you will hate the second death that is spoken of in the Bible. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The question I want to ask, first and foremost, is your name inscribed in the book of life? Now, you may have no clue what I'm talking about. Other than what Scripture says, there's not a whole lot more I can give you other than to say that when a person obeys the gospel and becomes a Christian and is justified in the eyes of the Lord, that is, we are made right with God through our obedience to Jesus and the faith we have in Him, He puts our name on the ledger of the book of life. But if our name isn't found in that book of life, we, like death in Hades, will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, there's one word used throughout the New Testament that is translated as hell, and it's the term Gehenna, which means literally the valley of Hinnom. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 30 and 31, the valley of Hinnom was a place where child sacrifice occurred. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They've set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. So the visual of this one place that's not very far from Jerusalem, if you're standing on the Temple Mount, you can see and you can point, you go, that's Hinnom over there. And it was associated with a place of fire, of suffering, of all the bad things that nobody wants. And so this site and its historical imagery became associated with hell, with eternal hell. And it's described various ways. You can turn to these passages if you wish, or you can jot them down. I'm going to run through them rather swiftly. Mark chapter 9 Verses 43 through 48 is the first passage. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell. Into the fire, that shall never be quenched. To where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire. That shall never be quenched. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into the hell fire. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So we read of an unquenchable fire from the words of Jesus, excuse me, from the lips of Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 10, 27 speaks of it in a similar 
uh, similar fashion where the author says, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Jude chapter 1, verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So we have an unquenchable fire, but we also note that this is a place for the body and the soul. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says, Fear not him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in the hell fire. Same thing in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. We read that this is also a place of sadness. It's a place of profound pain. Matthew 22, verse 13. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation chapter 14, verse 10. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, one final passage is that it's also 2 Peter 2, 4 described as a gloomy dungeon, or as our New King James says, chains of darkness. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness or a gloomy dungeon to be reserved for judgment. So when you take all these, hell is an unquenchable fire. It's a place for the body and the soul. It's a place of sadness and pain. It's a place that is like a gloomy dungeon. And those that go there are those whose names aren't written in the book of life. Those who haven't obeyed the gospel of God. Here's the good news. Okay? Probably nobody wants to hear this up to this point. Not good news. Very bad news. Do you see why I said I don't want anybody to go there? And there's always someone who asks the question, why would a loving God send people to a place like hell? You see, God sent His Son to the cross so that you and I don't have to go to hell. If a person goes to hell, it's not a loving God sending them there. It is a person making a personal decision. Don't put it off on God. He has done His part to save us from the condemnation of sin. He has done His part to rescue us from those consequences. If a person goes to hell, it's simply, how could it not be that they chose it? Well, nobody would choose to go to hell. Well, they don't choose to obey the gospel. What do they think is going to happen? They don't choose to walk in the light as he is in the light. What do they think is going to happen? 
We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about having faith in Jesus and trusting in Him. Now, if I had to go, Stephen, what about you? You going to hell, you going to heaven. I, I feel pretty good about my chances of going to heaven, not because of my own effort, but because of what my Savior did on the cross and the fact that I have faith in Him, the fact that I've trusted Him as best I could and as faithfully as I could. Can I do better? Yes. So I give it the best that I've got. Not to try to earn my way to heaven because you can't, but because when I look at a person who has sacrificed everything for me and I read that as love, I want to love in return. Let me put it a way that you'll understand if it hasn't been clear yet. As an American, most if not all of us have a sense of admiration for our soldiers. Not only present, but those in the past. We were at Cracker Barrel a couple years ago and a gentleman was walking into the dining area as I was walking out and I noticed he had a baseball cap on that said Vietnam veteran. And he was coming this way, so, so I just stepped in front of him and I said, sir, I said, I just want to thank you for serving our country. And I held out my hand and he shook it. He said, young man, it was my pleasure. I'd do it again. I said, thank you. And I just walked off. And it's, what's so odd about that is people thank Brie for her service all the time and she hates it. She hates people thanking her. I said, honey, people are grateful for what you're willing to do. Yeah, but I hate it. I don't do it to, to get that attention. She said, it's a job. I'm doing my job. I said, I know. I know. But people are grateful. Why are we grateful? It's because they wrote a check, a blank check to this nation with their life. How can we not have some sort of gratitude for what they were willing to do and what even some have done in paying that ultimate price for us? But the price that they paid had something to do with national interest, national security, politics, or whatever it may be. Jesus died to give us a world where wars no longer exist. He died to rescue us from the consequences of sin. Now the good news is that passage that Rob read a moment ago, he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire. Notice this, prepared for the devil and his angels. God did not create hell for you. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. I believe in a physician when I put my case into that physician's hand and trust them to cure me. I believe in a lawyer when I leave my case in their hands and trust them to plead for me. I believe in a banker when I put my money into their hands and allow them to keep it for me. I believe in my Savior and when I take Him to be my Savior, when I put my helpless case into His hands, I trust Him to do what I cannot do for myself. And that's to save me from sin. Jesus died to save us from sin. Jesus rose to defeat death. Have faith in Jesus 
that He is God's only Son and make that confession that I believe that Jesus is God's only Son. Turn away from sin. Turn to God. That's repentance. Be baptized with Christ. Hey, back up. (laughs) Be baptized with Christ where your sins are washed away and you are made a new creature. We believe in the physician. We believe in the lawyer. We believe in the banker. Believe now in the Savior. If you've never obeyed the gospel, I wish you would today. And if you don't want to do so in front of the crowd, maybe you're, you're, you know, what is it called? Stage fright or whatever in front of a whole bunch of people. Grab me. We'll wait till everybody leaves. That's okay too. But please obey the gospel if you're not a Christian. None of us want anyone to go to that place. So come as we stand and as we sing. Now you may slide.